whatever helps get you outside more, I'm all for it. Welcome to Family Travel Radio, the official podcast of the Family Travel Association. Family Travel Radio is on the air, helping you discover the world of possibilities family travel has to offer. Joining us today on Family Travel Radio from Los Angeles, California, it's Jennifer Fontaine. Jennifer is an outdoor recreation and family travel expert and managing editor of Outdoor Families Magazine, an award-winning publication dedicated to enriching the lives of multi-generational families internationally by providing meaningful outdoor and adventure-related content meant to inspire a connection to participate in and stewardship of the natural world that is beautiful. Jennifer Fontaine, welcome. Family Travel Radio. (laughs) Thank you. So glad to be here. Certainly my pleasure to have you. Jennifer and I just last week became Facebook friends. Jennifer, (laughs) the very first post I saw from you on Facebook after we became friends was about the earthquake that happened in Southern California last week. And I knew this was going to be a great a great interview when I saw what you wrote. It started out with a four-letter expletive that I'm not going to repeat on this show. <laughs> Tell me about that earthquake experience. Yeah. You know, I mean, we've obviously, I've been in Southern California now for about 22 years. So I do have some experience with earthquakes, but living the the first big earthquake through my daughter's eyes, who's only eight, it made it a little bit different and a little scarier for sure. And it also, interestingly enough, having been here, like I said, for 22 years, it showed us how completely unprepared we were. The biggest takeaway from the whole thing, my daughter was the one who like right after the shaking stopped was like, mom, shouldn't we have an emergency kit? And I was like, yeah, we should. So we spent the rest of the evening doing that um, and soothing our nerves. So how are your new, how are your nerves doing now? You know, it's, it's. It's uh, it it comes and it goes. It's in waves, just like an earthquake. It rolls in and it rolls out. <laughs> but I think for the most part, it's fine. Okay. Well, you're much like an earthquake. Your life has has many rolls, ins and out, and we've got a lot to cover because there's tons of gaps. We're going to get into Outdoor Families Magazine and how you landed there. But let's let's move back into the beginning. Your bio says you're born and raised in New Orleans. There's an acting career. You founded a blog. You're now a magazine editor. I mean, holy cow, we've got a lot, a lot of ground to cover here. Let's start with that, that acting career. Not only the acting career, but how does that relate to, to Outdoor Families Magazine? Tie those together for me. Well, I think I think the, the through line here has always been I was born to be a storyteller. Um, stories have always been an integral part of my life. So from a very young age, um, I started acting and ex- expressing um, my storytelling uh, passion through that venue. And to be honest with you, that that encompassed like the largest part of my career to date. I was in the entertainment industry for probably 20, about 20 something years, 20 years. <laughs> <laughs> and um, it wasn't until I got pregnant and was um, instructed by my doctor to go on bed rest for six months that I sort of had to sit down with myself and reevaluate things as a parent moving forward. Um, what did I want my life to look like? And to be quite frank, it didn't look like spending 16 hours a day on set. 
So I took a very long sabbatical when my daughter was born. I was lucky enough to have the luxury to be able to stay at home with her. I had already discovered my love for the outdoors and I wanted them. I knew like my main goal was to give that to her. And in doing so, <laughs> somehow I wound up founding a mommy hiking group in Southern California. And this was like back in the early days of Facebook where no one had groups and I mean, no one even knew what a group was, but I started this little group and within the first six months we had like over a hundred members and it was all free. It was just like, Hey, we're going here today, bring your babes and let's go into the forest. And through that started the mommy hiker blog. My all, everyone was like, you need to write this down. You need to get this information out to more people. And so I was like, okay. Uh, <laughs> and then the blog just took off. Like I had no expectations whatsoever. I just wanted to share it. And then that within a year and a half turned into launching this larger, like international uh, website focused on getting families outside. It was just, it was a natural progression for me. Well, it sounds like a natural progression, but I also imagine a lot of people might not be able to to go on that journey to be able to succeed at a high level at those two seemingly very disparate careers. You mentioned the the bed rest, the six month bed rest. I imagine you have a lot of reflection time. How did what what role did that bed rest specifically in your pregnancy play on your decision to make some pivots afterwards as opposed to not having that real deep reflection time? Yeah, it really centered me and it allowed me to sit with my priorities as they had been previously in my life and to envision what I actually wanted my life to look like as a mother, as a parent. And they, they, they were competing against each other because the two were vastly different. (laughs) Yes, indeed. So, um, so I, I let it go. I said, I said, I'm just gonna be. Uh, I'm gonna live in the truth that I want it to be right now for my daughter. I want to be there as a parent for her, and um, and so that's what I went. I went forth doing that, and that was always only my only intention was to be there with her and you know guide her. What was that like? That not just saying it out loud, I'm going to let this go, but then actually doing it, something that you'd been passionate about for your entire life. It was amazing. I never, um, I never dwell on it. I always like when I make a decision, I just move forward in that truth. And to be honest with you, um, I never looked at it as like, I'm letting this entire career go. I'm abandoning it. I'm never going to go back there or whatever. It was always just, um, this is where I'm standing right now. And this is what it looks like right now. And the rest of the, my life is open to change. It can come back. It can you know, there are many iterations of life and I've already been through like three or four. So I'm very like welcoming to, you know, and I, right now in my life, I'm also working at a digital agency. I went back to work full time two years ago. So in addition to the magazine, I'm working as a content uh, manager and back to video producing. <laughs> like, so, I mean, everything, everything um, in its own time is what I say. Well, I love that. Just a little context. Uh, I, I hadn't initially planned to go down this road in the conversation talking about talking about your acting career, except uh, a couple of days ago, I was you know cyber stalking you as hopefully good interviews do, good interviewers do rather. Jennifer Fontaine into Google 
first or second result was an IMDB link with a oh, picture that, that was the same picture that you sent me for this show. It's like, this can't be the same person. And holy cow, sure enough, it was. And <laughs> I can't, there's no way I wasn't going to talk about that. <laughs> so let's, let's transition to Jennifer Fontaine, the, the mother. How old are your kids? I have an eight-year-old daughter. You have an eight-year-old daughter. So take me back to those early days. You, you're, you're making that pivot. You're making that, that new iteration like you talked about. And t- tell me about when you just started first exploring the world, the natural world, especially with your daughter. Yeah, absolutely. Well, you know, we're really lucky to live in LA and a lot of people don't know this about LA, but we have some of the largest green urban spaces in the country, actually, like right next to New York and and Central Park. Um, We have the Santa Monica Recreation Area, which is, I think, the single largest urban recreation area in the country. So we have a lot at our doorstep to, to get out and discover, which makes it really easy for families to get outside without, you know, having to prepare too much. So that, that was something for me that I, I didn't even know having lived in LA for so long. Um, but once I had my daughter and the time I was out every day with her from an infant, I wasn't really concentrated much on anything else, but just giving her experiences. Well, tell me what what type of travelers were your husband and yourself before kids, and then talk about the the transition and then the goals, those real specific travel goals you had when you became parents. For us, the goal is to to give her that the bounty of the world, so that she knows intrinsically from you know a very young age that her family isn't the end all be all of what happens when people live their lives. There, there is a myriad of experiences and, and choices that people make and none of it is right or wrong. It just is. And I know for both of my husband and I, it, that is um, an incredibly important experience, a gift, I, w- I think, to, to give to our daughter the gift of language, the gift of culture and, and, and travel. Well, and how, or how was your own perspective shaped as you were growing up and what role did travel play in that? My mother actually is, is in the travel industry as well. (laughs) So yeah, I mean, I got the travel bug from her for sure. I was traveling at a very young age as well. And as a single mother, she didn't have the resources to do work trips without me. So I got to go a lot of places. Um, which was awesome. And it's really great now her being a grandmother and us getting to go on trips with the three of us. We call ourselves the Tres Generaciones. That sounds fierce. <laughs> I love it. And we just, we love to to explore together and to, to have these amazing experiences together. Going back to your other question, I realized that I, I didn't touch upon is how travel has maybe changed a little bit since like, you know, pre-kid and, and post-kid. And I would say it actually hasn't changed much at all. My husband and I, we really were slow travelers. So we like to go to a destination, stay there, ruminate, you know, hang with the locals. We're much more into some kind of like a local housing or things like that. Um, and we still travel that way. We're going to the south of Turkey in a couple of weeks and we've got a VRBO and we're going to be there for two weeks just exploring and and, um, and hanging out with the village. 
Tell me a little bit about the advantage that slow travel gives you, especially when traveling with a young one. Well, it goes back to those experiences that we're talking about. I mean, if you're on um, if you're on a travel itinerary that puts you in four different cities in a week, I mean, how much can you really absorb? How, how many people can you actually have a connection with, a deep connection with? We saw this in one of her first international trips when she was three and a half. We went to Italy. And uh, we were there for two weeks. One week we spent at um, an agroturismo in Tuscany. And then the other week we spent in one of the villages, Cornelia in Cinque Terre. Love it. Been there. Beautiful. <sighs> Amazing. Going there again in September. Amazing. Oh, I'm so jealous. <laughs> I can tell you that in the agroturismo, we made lifelong friends. Lifelong friends. We made connections with the Paola and her husband and her two kids. We broke bread with them. We baked with them. We walked the farms. We, you know, we went on donkey rides and, and we spent the, this week that we'll, we will treasure for the rest of our lives and, and we'll go back there and we'll, we'll see them again. And for us, those, those kinds of experiences are what we mean when we say slow travel. It's just, it's really taking that time to absorb the scenery and like, you know, understand migration, you know, and watching the, the wild boars run through the vineyards and understanding the ecosystem and how the, the vineyard relies on the, these certain patterns to really coexist. And we learned so much. It was just incredible. That's, that's beautiful. So coming from that perspective, before we move on to talking about Outdoor Families Online or Outdoor Families Magazine, excuse me, and some of the cool things that we can do right here in our own backyard, because that's what we're going to transition to in a moment. But tell me, what advice do you have for the families who might feel that pressure to, to do everything and see everything and really reject that slow traveler mentality? Because that really can cause so much anxiety that people don't take that trip because mm -hmm. they feel so much pressure where you're saying, just go, enjoy, take it slow. How do you communicate that to people who just don't get it? I think first you always want to come from a place of acknowledgement that, you know, we're, we're always force fed these itineraries from these large publications that possibly, you know, have some stake in, you know, selling a Disney cruise or, you know, a multi-pass trip to Universal or, you know, these 12 city itineraries. <laughs> so, I mean, I get that. That's what they see out there in the media for the most part. So I think as a travel lover, but also as a, a publisher of family travel, I would say it's my responsibility as the managing editor to convey a different experience. So I, I'm, I feel grateful to have the platform and my editor-in-chief, Aaron Kirkland, and I are very particular about the types of stories that we cover and making sure that it's not all about, you know, you have to go to Iceland because everyone's going to Iceland. And then, you know, you have to see the Blue Lagoon and this and that, you know, every it's it's not about that. It's it's more about um, the slow travel. So I think just providing the public with that alternative experience and not judging them because they think that that's what travel means. Well, it seems to me that once 
a family or an individual encounters the type of travel that you described and they experience that and really take it in for the first time, that they'll have that perspective shift, hopefully, and begin to come to that conclusion on their own rather than being force fed it the way you describe. And I love yeah. just sharing stories like yours just to show families that there are other ways to see the world. There's no one trip. There's no one itinerary. Do what's best for you and real and take it in. Absolutely. And, you know, also, I think that some people just operate on different frequencies. Some people really thrive in that sort of environment of like always being on a tour, always having place to go. My husband and I are not, not those types of people. We like to wake up slow in the morning. We like to have our coffee, sit on the veranda, soak in the, you know, the environment and, and take it slow. So I think to each their own as well. <laughs> well, that's wonderful. And the way just hearing you describe that, that is definitely my wife. And to me, to a little bit of a lesser degree, she is the get up, sit in the chair, read the paper. I'm dating myself a little bit. Nobody reads the paper anymore, but have the coffee and start the day slow. And why would you do that? If you enjoy doing that at home, why would you do something so drastically different when you travel? And I think people maybe miss that, that somehow gets lost in, in the purpose of travel, that you're not trying to become someone else. You're trying to just become a better version of yourself, maybe in a cooler place. I don't know. Yeah, but you know, I think it's an interesting thing to also observe that in the U.S., especially, particularly, travel is so, we're so limited to such a, a small window for those of us who are getting like paid time off from work and things like that. I mean, we don't have the luxury of like having 30 days of paid time off like they do in Europe or even more sometimes. Like in the U.S., we're lucky if we have five or 10 days. So you, you, you also have to see from that perspective, like they do have to cram it in, in a way, you know, otherwise they don't get to go. Right. Cram it in or don't go at all. Those, I don't <laughs> like either of those choices, Jennifer. <laughs> I agree. All right. Well, let, well, let's move on. And this is a topic that's, that's very near and dear to me. And I'll tell you why my wife and I did a decent amount of fairly intrepid travel pre-kids. And we did that intentionally knowing that once we had kids, we could always come back and then begin to start really exploring our own backyard. All the wonderful opportunities there are right here in our home state, which is your home state as well, California, and then in the US in general, road trips, things of that nature. So let's talk about that. You've got some great suggestions, great ideas for families to explore right here in our own backyard. Good old US of A. Take it away, Jennifer. What do you got? Oh man, uh, my husband and I are massive road trippers as well. We absolutely love road trips. We've done all kinds, like all over the U.S. as well, um, and California especially. Oh my goodness, we have just like so many national parks, and you know the the Pacific Coast Highway. You know Utah's in our backyard, and um, with like so many the the Grand Circle. There's the you know the national parks. National Park to Park Highway. I, I think that a lot of times, again, like to go back to what we were saying, people think like, oh, a family vacation has to be like epic. We have to go diving in the Galapagos. We have to go to Mount Everest base camp. You know, I mean, like, but you can trust me because my husband and I have done Pacific Coast Highway road trip probably five times. It never gets old. It's always epic. It's amazing. And so I, I think like a lot of times families sort of overlook these seemingly innocuous family road trips 
and opting for these like grandiose things, which I mean, who doesn't want to go to the Galapagos Islands? But do we always have 10 grand to spend on it? You know what I mean? Absolutely. So, so take me through some of your favorites, your, whether it be national parks or just these incredible experiences. You mentioned Pacific Coast Highway. I definitely can get behind you on that one. Just hit some of those, uh, some of those highlights around, around the U.S. that folks can do. Slow travel, low to the ground, road tripping. Yeah, absolutely. We love the, um, there is a really great uh, road trip. It's called, it's called the Grand Circle Road Trip. And we did this last April, I want to say. And it basically takes you through 10 destinations. It includes U.S. National Parks, some monuments, national forests, even um, some really cool tribal lands and national recreation areas where you can see all kinds of um, like petroglyphs, and and things of that nature it's really um a great a great ride you can you know glamp it up or you can hotel it or you can camp and it goes through utah colorado arizona new mexico it's like um it's a huge southwest loop that's really really fun i highly recommend that one Talk a little bit about glamping. It's, it's a very timely topic because I'm actually planning a, a whole episode on glamping coming up here in the next couple of months, but give me your take on glamping. Sure. I, I, think, I think glamping is awesome. <laughs> what is it, first of all? Define it for the folks who may have never come across that word. Yeah, sure. So glamping is just like elevated camping, you know, so it has like a little bit better amenities, you know, usually you'll have running water, sometimes even like there's a glamping place that we've gone to here and just um, up by Santa Barbara called El Capitan Canyon, where they have yurts and they have these cool canvas tents that you can rent out and they even have like room service if you want to do that. I mean, it's not like, you know, required, but So it's an elevated sort of experience. We're tent campers all the way. My husband and I sleep on the ground and we do that. But we also definitely love to glamp as well. And I don't, a lot of people think like, especially in the outdoor industry, there's sort of this like negative connotation for people who glamp or even RVers, you know. And I just think whatever helps get you outside more, I'm all for it. Oh, I couldn't agree with you more, especially on the RVing. I haven't done that, but I, I'm so drawn to it. Not because it's basically an apartment on wheels, but because of what you can see. Mm-hmm. Especially with kids, you always have that home base. Your home base is always with you. Yeah, I don't see anything wrong with that. I don't consider myself any less of a man for wonder RV it up with my family. I, I agree. I think my husband and I have been talking about planning an RV trip for going on 20 years. <laughs> we still haven't done it yet, but it's on our it's on our list for sure. Well, how about this? We'll keep each other accountable. Okay. We'll make sure that we, we both take that trip. Deal. Let's transition to, to talking about off-season travel. I came across one of your articles there, Outdoor Families Magazine at outdoorfamiliesonline.com, where you talked about traveling during during the winter months. And this I'm going to quote from the article here. It says, quote, when snow begins to blanket the landscape, the hordes depart, leaving behind a fresh new way to explore. Tell me about that. Yes. Yes. For I think, um, especially as parents, a lot of times we are always relegated to travel during the high season, um, which which changes the experience a lot of times because it's it is hordes of people. I've been to Yosemite in the summer. It's not 
that fun. <laughs> I got to be honest with you. Um, I much prefer Sequoia in the off season any day. But um, but yeah, I think that a lot of times people sort of overlook these national parks in particular on the off season because it's just not something that that even comes into their to their consciousness that they think oh it's probably closed or the the roads are closed you know all of these all of these things but um but there's actually many of the national parks are open during the winter there are lodges there there are cabins to be rented and it's quite a magical experience to be in one of our national parks in the in the winter time it's just glorious well being the mother of an 8 year old what's your what's your strategy for working around school schedules to be honest i am very frank my husband and i both are very frank with her teachers up front to say that travel is important to us. We look at it from a world schooling perspective and we've been very lucky. Of course, she's only eight. So, right. I mean, I've heard many stories from friends who have older kids that it gets harder the older that they get, the more responsibility they have, the more schoolwork they have. So I'm not negating that that challenge. But for us right now, with an eight-year-old going into the third grade, we will always try our best to plan uh, vacations that fall outside of the school schedule. But that being said, for example, when we our last camping trip was just like um, the end of May, we took the whole last week of school off. <laughs> And went camping because nothing happens the last week of school, right? You know, I mean, not when you're eight. No, it's just busy work. And and the teacher, her teacher, was you know lucky enough to see the value in that and and was totally fine with it. So I mean, I think it's a case by case basis. And to and you know, if you're providing an educational foundation for that trip, I think it's just as valuable if not more than being in school for four or five days. Well, you're preaching to the choir in me (laughs) and most likely most of the folks out there listening today, but it is a real challenge. And it sounds like you are fortunate as, as am I to have a school that's understanding and accepting. Unfortunately, that's not always the case. So, but being able to share stories like yours and the, thousands of stories of folks all over the country and around the world who are taking their kids out there, getting them that that real world education. I think hopefully we can make that shift in the culture to where travel is recognized as a legitimate educational benefit as opposed to just, you know, going to a resort and leaving reality. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. Well, Jennifer, this has been such a pleasure. I feel like we could go on for days and days and many, many days, but I just wanted to to leave our listeners with this final, final call to action. Just know that affordable, adventurous, family-friendly vacations full of natural beauty and outdoor activities abound in and around our national public lands. Yes, indeed. So plan that next epic family vacation. Explore the U.S. national parks. And Outdoor Families Magazine is a wonderful resource you can just read about all these fantastic places, learn everything you need to know to get your families out there. You can check it out at outdoorfamiliesonline.com. One more time, outdoorfamiliesonline.com. We're going to have all this linked up in the show notes at familytravel.org slash radio. Jennifer Fontaine, thanks so much for taking some time. Really appreciate it. It's been a pleasure. Thank you so much, Aaron. Aaron. 